0: What does it mean to be discerning? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story, presented by the Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me, as always, is Brian Dembozik.
1: How's it going, Brian? Well, I'm looking around for who our third host is going to be this week. Uh, we need to have a guest, because if we're talking about being discerning, I don't think you or I have any expertise on addressing that one. We, we need somebody to help us understand that. You know, that's hurtful. See, I lack discernment. That's why I say things like that.
0: That's, that's true. But you know who we do have? We do have a third guest. We do have a, I have a guest host, <laughs> the Holy Spirit. I, see, I knew you were going to go there.
1: You Jesus <laughs> juked me.
0: I did. I did. Well, technically, Holy Spirit had juked you. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I mean, that's but this is the thing. We are talking about discernment today and we are talking about it through um, as we as we look at Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. So last week, if you were with us, we talked about Peter's uh, Peter's experience um, and the the gospel going going out to the Gentiles, which which is pretty pretty fantastic, there and uh, one of the key things that is that is present there in in that account is that people took time. <laughs> yeah, they took time to think about how to respond, and that that in itself is an illustration of discernment, but. Um, before we go too much farther, is there anything else that you want to add to help us set up what we're going to talk about today?
1: Yeah, I, this is a passage. We're looking at Acts chapter 11, verses uh, about 19 through 30, I believe. And, you know, when you're reading through Acts, this is a section that's pretty easy to, to read over. It's, I think, two paragraphs as you're reading. It's pretty short. Um, and it's on its first read, it seems rather uneventful especially when you're reading Acts and there's so many amazing things around it, it's really easy to just kind of read past this. And I'm glad we're not. I'm glad we're actually investing an episode to talk about it because it is just this great account of encouragement within the church. And so what we see here is that Peter, as you talked about, has reported on his experience with Cornelius to the church in Jerusalem. The doors to evangelism in the Gentile world have been flung wide open. And then we're introduced... In these verses to the church at Antioch, and it's strategic. As we've talked about before, Luke, who wrote Acts, is just a great storyteller. The church at Antioch is going to play a significant role, especially in evangelizing the Gentile world. So we're kind of introduced to that church here, but we're introduced a little bit for a different reason. What happens is um, we hear word of things happening at that church. And so the Jerusalem church sends Barnabas to check it out, and then he pulls Paul into it, and we just have this great experience of just the church finding encouragement growing together, again, that we can just read over really quickly. But it's just a great moment, um, I think, of celebration and encouragement within the church for us to kind of noodle on for a few minutes.
0: Yeah, and before before we read this passage, you know, it's interesting to talk about discernment and encouragement together Though those two things don't seem to fit at least in how many of us have experienced um some so-called discernment in in some areas but hopefully as we discuss we will see and as you listen to this passage as you read it yourself hopefully you will see why those two things fit together and why we would why we would lead off today talking about discernment when it from such an encouraging passage so starting at verse 19 here we go now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews but there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks as well, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number of them believed. Uh, believed, who believed turned to the Lord. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Some of them, or one of them named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. And this took place during the reign of Claudius. Each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. They did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. So, a lot of stuff happening here. Yeah. Some stuff that doesn't seem to naturally fit necessarily, but it does. Especially
1: this famine discussion at the end.
0: Particularly that. But um, we'll get to that. We will. This though is this though is important because you know we're reintroduced to we're reintroduced to a person that we met very briefly way back in at the beginning of of chapter five um, or end of chapter four, Barnabas. And, um, and this is where he, he takes the spotlight a little bit, which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Barnabas, he, and that's the first question as we look at this, why was Barnabas sent to Antioch, Antioch? And yeah, Barnabas, as you read through Acts, he just, you know, you, you talk about us zigzagging through Acts as we jump into epistles. Barnabas zigzags his way through the book of Acts. He just makes these appearances. And whenever he does, though, it, it he's always, he plays this really great role of being, he, he, it just seems like he's the kind of guy you just want to be with. You would just love to have lunch with Barnabas. You just would love to have Barnabas in your small group as, as somebody discipling you or just as a friend because he's an encourager. Every time he pops on the scene, he's using, God is using him to bring people together to encourage and so here, he, when he shows up, you immediately, okay, what's he going to do this time? And and that is really why I think he was chosen. So think about it. The, the church in Jerusalem is getting this report from all this great stuff potentially happening in Antioch. Notice my word potentially there. Mm-hmm. Just like we saw last week, we we want to be discerning. Okay, was this valid? Peter, what you experienced with Cornelius, let's talk about this. Let's check it out. Let's investigate it. It's not a cynical, jerky kind of we don't believe you at all, prove it to us. It's more of a respectful, we want to make sure that we are are living in the truth and that we're not being misled. And so they hear this report and they want to verify it. And so they say, all right, who can we send? And I don't think it took long for Barnabas's name to come up because here's the thing. If the report were deemed to be true, which it was, Who better than this encourager to be there? He was the ideal person to share joy with the church in Antioch on behalf of the church in Jerusalem, and also not only to to be joyful with them and to encourage them, to help anchor them in the faith. Because we have to keep in mind, when, when the Bible speaks of encouragement, it's not a superficial encouragement that we might experience hey, you're doing good, keep at it. There's a place for that. Mm -hmm. But the Bible's use of encouragement is deeper. It's it's helping somebody be uh, solid in their faith and stay firm in their faith. And so there's more of a theological underpinning required in proper encouragement. We want to point them to the truth and give them some weightier um, encouragement rather than more of what can come across as a little bit more lighter. And so... He, Barnabas had the theological chops. He had the spirit as, as we were just a godly man who would be able to help anchor these new believers in their faith, help the church in this joyful but important moment of, of the, the gospel expanding. So, of course, the perfect choice of the church to send Barnabas, and he was chosen for a reason.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that... He was that he was sent there, that he was this encourager, but that he wasn't there to to just simply go and encourage. He wasn't sent to do that. He was sent to see, Okay, is this legit? Yeah, that is so huge. And and really, again, that speaks to why why we're saying why we're talking about discernment and encouragement and encouragement in the same at the same time, because they should they should go together. We should be able to celebrate The truth when we see it, when we recognize it for what it is, we need to be careful, and we need to take the time to view and understand and explore that.
1: And conversely, we'd never want to encourage by accident or intentionally untruth.
0: Yes, yes, that's that's part of the thing too. Is is we we want to we want to be hesitant because both sides can be dangerous, right? Yes. Um, Accepting things too too quickly. Um, And blindingly, and blindly, really, um, that ultimately is foolishness. And when we reject things too quickly, so if it doesn't fit within our particular theological paradigm, for example, Mm -hmm. um, or we have mismatched ideas about what a first tier and second tier issue are, um, or or various things like that,
1: that, Does that ever happen?
0: Oh, only every day <laughs> um, but you know these are these are the things that that do happen and so you can you can ca- ultimately you can cause harm to yourself. you can cause harm and sow seeds of discord within yeah. the body of Christ um, both at a local church level and beyond um, simply by being, A little bit too quick on the trigger. Yeah. So I'm all for, I'm all for, um, you know, verbally shooting heretics.
1: Notice verbally. Let's be careful. You said verbally. Verbally.
0: I am all for calling out a heretic as a heretic. Okay? I am not for shooting down, shooting a a brother and sister in Christ for... For mislabeling, misjudging, um, defaming, defraud, <laughs> defaming, yeah. and, and these people, just because I disagree with them, yeah. Speaking of people that sometime that that uh, would get disagreed with on occasion, um, Paul slash Saul, um, remembering not not new name, not different name, just different context, but Barnabas in this passage brings Paul slash Saul to Antioch why and here's the answer well it's kind of two answers really I mean in part it's it's that he went and he found him in part to further disciple him so he was taking him for for his good and and this was really the beginning of their ministry partnership yeah we did see that it you know unfortunately, it didn't end particularly well from the outset. It didn't go quite the way that that is ideal, but they did they they clearly were able to reconcile later, <laughs> um, as well as we know from the rest of scripture. Um, but this is the thing is Paul was a very was very well trained in the scriptures. He knew them backwards and forwards. But he also needed people to show him what it meant to be a disciple of Christ, yeah, and so there i can I can think of no better person for a guy like a guy like Paul than a guy like Barnabas, um, someone who would seem so different from him and when you when you think about that, think about their relationship from that perspective, you know it really speaks into the the affection and care that you see Paul later display in his ministry. That's like maybe this is the fruit of Barnabas's influence on him. Yeah. So, there's that side of it. And then but then there's also the recognition that that Paul as a well-trained theologian had so much good that he could offer the church. And so he's going and he's getting him and he's bringing him back to Antioch um because he had so much potential to be a very strong leader in in the church itself and so he sees this opportunity and to to both disciple and encourage Paul but also disciple and encourage new believers through their relationship as well and through and through Paul's gifts
1: yeah. too yeah I think I think it's Galatians where Paul references his uh, training period. Mm-hmm. Um, he, as we know in, in Acts, he trusts in Christ, with the conversion, and then he kind of disappears, and we go back to Peter and then Stephen and, and others, um, and then Paul comes on the scene, picking up here, and he's going to, in a chapter or two, he's going to pretty much dominate the rest of the book of Acts. But what we don't see there is Paul is trained. I think it's two years that he went, and he was, he's being trained and discipled. But we also, rewinding after his conversion, we read that he was sharing the gospel with people already. So as you're saying, we, we shouldn't think that he was just useless until he was ready to start these mission endeavors. He was very useful, but he was still himself. He was still growing. And and being discipled, so I, yeah, I love Barnabas's strategy. I imagine that was it. I imagine Barnabas just had this great thought given to him by God. I would imagine of saying, "Hey, I've got a church here who needs to be discipled. I've got a guy over here there who can help, but also be discipled mm-hmm. at the same time. Let's do this together." Yeah, and and we see it worked well.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, before we jump too too much farther, um, though, one of the things is interesting. Just as a as a side note for people. Whenever you're reading um, whenever you're reading a book like acts which actually covers a very significant period of time we're talking um, you know 30 40 years happen in these 28 chapters um, the period of time between acts acts 9 and, and where we see um, see Paul converted and when he when he shows up and is really starting his ministry there's about 14 years there that's happening yeah. and so he you know so where this is happening we're a little bit fuzzy on the details but it could be anywhere in that spectrum of he's a couple of years in or he could be 10 years yeah as well yeah
1: so i think that takes us to this last paragraph there that we mentioned this this famine and as you're reading it feels like wait a minute does this really go along with it and somebody reading along with us or listening may have thought we should have stopped at verse 26. It's a nice, complete thought. 27 is a different thought. In a way it is, but it's it's really not. Uh, I think it's, it's helpful to understand this together with what we just read, and as we anticipate what will happen coming up with this Antioch church being the mission sending, sending center of the church. And so what do we see here in 2730? Why does Luke include this? Well, first of all, Luke, of course, is a historian, an excellent historian. He's even recognized by unbelievers um, that his abilities as a historian are superb. And so Luke never misses an opportunity to include a timestamp. And so that's what he does here. Um, He's including this timestamp of this famine. It's done to affirm the historicity of Luke's account. But more than that, we get a glimpse of the heart of the church at Antioch. We, so we've seen before, an in intimation, they have some heart because they're sharing the gospel broadly. But here we see it a little bit more definitively, a little clearly. What we see happening is when they hear that the Jerusalem church will be experiencing hardship, they immediately want to have a collection to provide for the physical needs of the church that will be coming up. In, in essence, it seems like they want to give back to those who have helped them. They recognize that the church in Jerusalem was incredibly important in helping them spiritually, not only in the origins of the church, but also what Barnabas has been doing and Paul coming alongside. They've been recipients of others' goodness. And they recognize there's this practical need They can help, and they want to do that. So I think what we see here is a little bit of the heart posture. This is a church that seems to truly care about people, an amazing church from what we see in Acts. And again, this will be important when we come in chapter 13 of this first missionary trip being planned and sent. Why did they do it? It's because their heart, they clearly had a heart for people and wanted God to use them. So I think it really is helpful for us looking ahead to understand what will be happening in the next two chapters.
0: Yeah. All right, so um, let's bring ourselves to a conclusion here and do, but let's do that by offering a little bit of guidance in terms of how this passage can help us disciple. One other. I'll uh, I'll take the I'll take at least the first one, and um, really, it is just a reiteration of something that we say because we covered a lot of this before. But just yeah. to say it again, we ought to be discerning, and so discernment ultimately is is right judgment, and so we see this all throughout Scripture. We see it all throughout the New Testament. This this idea of judge with right judgment to think properly think correctly think um think in light of christ in that um and so again we want to so we want to be careful with what we approve and what we reject at the same time so like we said you can we can reject things too quickly which is as equally as dangerous as accepting things blindly when we seek to be discerning we want to be we want to be open to exploring what we hear what we experience what we see etc but we want to explore those through the lens of scripture use scripture as our norming norm to say okay in light of what we what we know of god's word is this true so um for example there are often stories of people who have will will say they've had visions of Jesus <laughs> and things like this. You see this actually a lot in um, testimonies from people with, from the Middle East, um, but not just there. And so, I mean, I'm I'm always careful with 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 stuff like that. And there's lots of different there's a lot of different uh, opinions on on whether or not stuff like that happens. So. We're not. Just so you know, we're not picking a side in that in that fight today. <laughs> um,
1: I'm surely not. I'm just going to be quiet. and Listen. That,
0: that's wise. So. So I'm. I, I I'll listen. And where where it rings true, where where the, some of those those accounts that I've heard in the past have rung true, has been when someone will say, "I had a vision of someone telling me to." telling me to go and speak to this person who would tell me about Jesus. That I'm open to. I think that's, I think that's fair. Now the question is, is does, you know, there, there's a whole nother host of questions there that, uh, that, you know, at this point we're not going to get into today, but, <laughs> um, I think that's a fair, that's not something that you should dismiss out of hand, but does it mean that it's normative? Probably not. (laughs) Um, Now, that's just, that's a more extreme example. But when it comes to, um, you know, when it comes to different, when it comes to different approaches with teaching, when it comes to different, um, when it comes to the way that someone is expressing their faith, you need to listen to the content. You need to listen to, listen to the context clues that they're giving about what they mean. Um, you know, good discernment will, that is rooted in scripture, will root out false teaching. But overzealous discernment can also blind us
1: to truth. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, just watching the snowfall as as you were digging a. A hole potentially, and oh, so now that, that you're done, I'll, I, I, I'm just, it's, you know, I'm just started snowing, so I'm just watching it out my window, enjoying that. Um, no, but you're right, Aaron, and I think it, it takes us to the next idea of a reminder of our need to be encouragers, and it, and it dovetails with what you just spoke of. You know, I, I, in my time in, in ministry, when I was preaching, for example, um, I would want people to come to me and say, hey, you said this, where is that? Mm-hmm or why is that? But there's a couple different ways you can do that, at least a couple. One is in a jerky way, in an accusatory way, assuming I'm wrong and wanting to prove me wrong, and I'm then on the defensive. That's never the way. The the way that I respect is a humble, truly trying to be honoring to Scripture and wanting to understand something and open to it. And that's encouragement in a different way. Um, you know, when, when, when a person comes and says, I want to know God's word better, I want I want to discern, I want to be sure that what you said was true, that's encouraging to me, because here's a person who cares about the truth. And then we handle that in a, in a good way. So encouraging is, is not just when we go to somebody and say, I've seen what God's doing in your life, I want to encourage that and help you. But we can also encourage by being an example like that. I think a couple other takeaways, and we'll just wrap up our discussion today. Mm -hmm. Um, We've talked about the heart for people that the church at Antioch had. I think there's a good takeaway there for people we're discipling. Uh, We want them to engage not only their minds, but their hearts as disciples of Christ. But one other thing that I don't want us to miss is that as we're discipling others, we need to seek ways to conduct practical, hands-on discipleship. Sometimes I fear we limit discipleship to the classroom, not necessarily a literal classroom, but that, that kind of mindset of we sit down in a coffee shop or a classroom, either one-on-one or as a group, and we lapse into lecture mode or information transfer mode. And there's a place for that, an important place. But we can't miss that also we are after holistic discipleship, which includes the heart being motivated to act and actions themselves. And so I love, if we have understood Barnabas correctly Mm -hmm. in bringing Paul to Antioch, I love how that's what was on his radar. Here's a way that I can practically help disciple Paul by him doing discipleship as well. And so for us to look for ways to do that, how can we live out our faith? It may be sharing the gospel with others. It may be serving in different capacities. It may be spending time with our families together as we're loving family. All the different components of what it looks like to live out the gospel. Discipleship, really, if we are including that hands-on active element, to me, that is the strongest discipleship we can be after. Again, it's not to the exclusion of teaching and information and and spending time in the Word. It's 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 both and. So as we're seeking that, my thinking is we miss that active part more often than not, and we don't see discipleship flourish as much as it could because of that.
0: All right, Brian, that is a great note to end on, and um, yeah, thanks for thanks for talking about this this importance um, there that that discipleship needs to needs to come out of uh, out, out of our thinking in terms of, of being a classroom of uh, strictly formal or classroom driven and uh, really taking a holistic all of life approach Um, as we seek to be both discerning and encouraging to other believers. So thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.